Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Guess what, Mango? What's that, Will? Did you know that in the early days of Amazon.com, they actually had this bell installed and they would ring it every time a book was sold? (laughs) The employees would then rush over to see if they knew the name of the customer who had made the purchase. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, especially considering they now sell more than 600 items per second on their biggest days. I'm guessing they don't ring that bell anymore. Probably not. But actually, it feels like they should do this as a symbol, like maybe get some intern that give them a bell and just be like, just just do your best every time an order <laughs> comes in. But all right, man, that, that might be a little bit mean. But it is crazy to think just how much Amazon has grown in the past couple of decades and how many industries they're involved in and, and the crazy things they may be up to next. So that's what today's episode is all about. Let's get started. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Mangesh Hatikater. And the man on the other side of the soundproof glass, what is he doing? Is he he's checking his stocks in the newspaper? In the newspaper? <laughs> do people still do that? Anyway, whatever he's doing, that's our friend and producer, Tristan McNeil. That's, that's, that's been so long since people check their <laughs> stocks that way. But All right, well, today we're talking about Amazon.com, the company that in 22 short years has gone from this tiny garage-based startup in Washington to the largest and most successful online purveyor of, well, I mean, pretty much everything. Mm -hmm. And lately it feels like every week brings this fresh announcement from Amazon about some new product or venture that the company's launching or some milestone it's reached on its journey to total global domination. Right. And with all that recent news in mind, we thought it might be interesting to take a deep dive into Amazon's history and try to get a sense of how it got so big and how much growing it could still do in the years ahead. And along the way, of course, we'll get a couple of PTG listeners on the line for a quiz. All right. So let's start from the beginning on this one, which which for Amazon was the year 1994. And that's when the founder and CEO of the company, Jeff Bezos, decided to quit his job at an investment firm and take a gamble by starting his own Internet company. 
Which is so risky. I mean, this is 1994. Remember, the internet was a new phenomena for most people, and buying something online was just about the shadiest, riskiest thing you could think of. Yeah, and Bezos saw the potential, though, and when, when he noticed the early rumblings of the impending internet revolution while working on Wall Street, and according to him, quote, the wake-up call was finding this startling statistic that web usage in the spring of 1994 was growing at 2,300% a year. You know, things just don't grow that fast. It's highly unusual. And that started me about thinking, what kind of business plan would make sense in the context of that growth? Well, apparently the kind that involves starting an online bookstore out of your garage, because that's what Jeff wound up doing when he founded Amazon just a year later. And, you know, he wasn't sure what to name his company. The front runner name I, I found was actually Kadabra, <laughs> which is a uh, crib from that word abracadabra. But uh, that idea was scrapped when Jeff's lawyer pointed out that it sounded a little too close to cadaver. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of, I could see how that might be an issue. Ta-da, cadaver. So the name went from magician lingo to corpse, then to a river. So <laughs> how exactly did that progression happen? Well, supposedly he went with the river name for two reasons. The first was that the Amazon River is one of the largest and longest in the world. So the name has this built-in connotation of scale. Yeah. Uh, and, and the second reason was a bit more practical. Like, website listings for businesses were usually alphabetical back then, and Jeff wanted a place at the top of the list. So I love the idea of the alphabetical listings, <laughs> like that, that that happened at some point. Yeah, they used to have those directories, remember? Yeah. Directory of websites. But, uh, but by the way, another name Bezos kicked around was Relentless. And <laughs> And while he eventually decided against it, if you type relentless.com in your search bar, you actually get taken to Amazon. Really? Yeah, isn't that That's crazy? so cool. Yeah. All right. Well, well back to the company's founding in, in 1995, the, the whole venture was Jeff's idea, but he definitely didn't get it off the ground by himself. And the initial capital for the site actually came from his parents. And admittedly, they didn't really understand what their money was going toward. In fact, the very first question Jeff's dad asked after hearing the pitch for this web-based bookstore was, What's the Internet? <laughs> you know, nonetheless, Jeff's parents ponied up a large portion of their life savings. I mean, this was hundreds of thousands of dollars, all for their son's crazy dream of opening this invisible bookstore as they saw it. Yeah, that's a serious unconditional love. But uh, thankfully, Ma and Pa Bezos have done pretty well on their investment. Uh, and that's to put it mildly. I mean, the site was a success from the start, and that was with zero press promotion. I mean, Amazon sold books to customers in all 50 states and 45 different countries within its first month of operation. That is pretty incredible. Yeah, and by its second month, the site was making more than $20,000 in sales per week. And that was way more than Jeff and his tiny startup team ever anticipated. Yeah, you know, I still laugh thinking about them ringing a bell with every sale <laughs> in those early days. Yeah, and especially thinking about that stat we discussed earlier, where at peak times, Amazon's annual Prime Day, for instance, the company sells over 600 items per second. Wow, it would never stop ringing. Yeah, it would be a total nightmare. Speaking of which, did you hear about that early Amazon software bug? It basically handed out free money to customers. Oh, I did. I'm sorry. I missed out on this. What, what <laughs> happened? Know. Apparently, there was a glitch in the program that allowed users to order a negative quantity of books, and the site would end up crediting the cost of the books to the customer's credit card. I mean, Amazon's team caught on to it pretty quickly, but uh, but it's still kind of amazing. Yeah, you know, and Amazon's always been good about identifying these hiccups in its service and, and quickly getting solutions in place. And one great example of this is the decision to branch out from book sales just three years after the company's launch. And, and don't get me wrong, I mean, books were a smart choice to start out with because they're sturdy, they're fairly uniform in shape, and all of that makes them easy to store and ship in bulk. But focusing on just one product, you know, no matter how popular or convenient it is, 
it puts a cap on the company's growth potential, and it left a lot of money on the table as they saw it. And, and that's ultimately why Amazon started selling other forms of media. They moved into CDs and DVDs. And in 1998, they then moved into things like clothing and toys and electronics. And since then, it's just about anything else. I mean, what's baffling to me is that Amazon's like one of the few expanding e-commerce sites that actually managed to survive that whole dot-bomb bust, you know, mm -hmm. the, the one in the late 90s and early 2000s. And and I, I don't know if you remember, but like there were so many, I think there were hundreds of online retail startups. I mean, we remember things like Pets.com and Cosmo.com, but there was just so much hype. Yeah, yeah. And there had been all this excitement about the burgeoning online market and Investors were quick to back these fledgling companies that really had no long-term plan or business model, really. And and then once the huge losses started mounting, they, all that funding dried up and the dot-com bubble burst, of course. So I'm curious, how did Amazon manage to come through all of that unscathed? Well, for one thing, and this was something I really didn't know, but just looking into this, it, that Amazon was a lot more frugal than some of the cash-happy startups that were spending so much money on things like lavish office space and all these wild parties mm -hmm. that you read about and. You know, for example, Amazon's offices used to have these makeshift, what they call door desks for workers to use. <laughs> According to former employee Greg Linden, the company would, quote, um, buy a wooden door, preferably a hollow core wooden door with no hole pre-drilled, <laughs> saw a couple of four by four by six pillars in half, bolt them to the door with a couple of scary looking angle brackets, put them in front of a programmer and door desk. <laughs> That's hilarious. But I mean, there's no way Amazon survived just by pitching pennies on a few door desks. No, I mean, but it's not like Amazon was completely shielded from the dot-com crisis either. The, at one point in 2001, the company's stock plummeted from a high of about $100 per share to a low of just six bucks. And, wow. You know, Bezos was said to have taken all of this in stride, though. I mean, he said he preferred to focus on the ever-increasing cash flow that Amazon had to play with. He felt the long-term opportunities afforded by this capital would secure the company's future, even if that meant profits would stay at or, you know, even below zero for the time being. Yeah, doing the research for this episode really highlighted how much more Amazon values revenue over net income. But since most of us tend to use those terms interchangeably, I, I just want to give a quick note about the distinction between the two. So in a financial context, revenue is the total amount of money generated through everything the company sells, Right. And net income refers to just the company's profit. So that's the amount of money that it stays after you take away, you know, the company's operating costs and, and all their other expenses. Yeah. So for 2016, just looking at the numbers here, Amazon earned about $136 billion in revenue. But it only reported $2.3 billion as actual profit. Only, only two point three. Just thinking, man, that. how depressing would that be if our business only generated $2.3 billion in actual profit? But you know, sometimes you'll see reports that Amazon never turns a profit despite being this huge sales juggernaut, but it's not really the case at this point. Yeah, it, I, I mean, it's true that the company didn't report a profit until six years after it launched. And even today, Amazon fluctuates between losses and gains and breaking even all on a quarterly basis. But the thing to remember is that those sometimes less than stellar profit margins are all part of Bezos's plan. Like Amazon makes a ton of money. It's just that most of that money is immediately reinvested in the company's growth and diversification rather than being divvied up amongst its employees and shareholders or set aside for a rainy day. Well, and, and that's how we ended up with things like Prime Shipping and the Kindle, Alexa, and all these other services and gadgets that the company's developed and rolled out over the years in lieu of banking these sky-high profits. So Bezos convinced the company to set aside short-term income, really more in favor of long-term expansion. And 
And just like the early move beyond books, the decision has definitely paid off in a huge way. Yeah, and there are all kinds of examples of that payoff. But I, I think Amazon's web services division, the AWS, is probably the best one. That's the cloud computing business that Amazon started in 2002, right after the dot-com crash. And it's really prescient. These days, AWS is actually the most profitable part of the company. Huh. And if you look at it, like last year, when Amazon reported the $2.3 billion in income that you mentioned, the profits from their web services, that represented more than half of that take. Oh, wow. Yeah. So so really, the company's biggest moneymaker has nothing to do with selling or shipping physical products at all. Which is just amazing to think of more than half of the company's profits coming from a part of the company that most people really don't even know exists mm-hmm. or understanding exactly what it is. and. So for our listeners who might be going a little cross-eyed at the mention of web services and cloud computing, you know, here's a little bit of an explanation. So just think about these companies that may be startups or even bigger companies, and they know that as they grow, they're going to need new servers, they're going to need new equipment, all to be able to manage the, you know, a bigger online business. Mm -hmm. But it's hard to predict exactly how quickly you're going to grow. And if you were having to buy these servers and every piece of equipment to predict that each time, it can get extraordinarily expensive. And so to be able to just use Amazon services and Amazon servers saves them a ton of money and allows them to grow at exactly the rate they need to grow. Yeah, but what's interesting that it isn't just like small companies and startups that are taking advantage of this arrangement. Like big companies actually use it too. And if you look at the client list, it's like Netflix, Instagram, Spotify, Airbnb. They all rely on AWS servers for their power. Hmm. And even the government's partnered with AWS. Like, did you know the CIA uses them? I mean, they owe much of its computing power to a customized cloud on the AWS servers. And most of the division's 1 million plus customers represent for-profit businesses. But there are also about 18,000 nonprofits, 5,000 schools, and close to 2,000 government agencies, too. Wow. And, you know, all that attention and profitability has caught the attention of these other mammoth companies who now want in on this cloud computing Mm -hmm. industry. You've got places like IBM and Microsoft and Google. They've all started investing tons of money into growing their competing services. Of course, AWS is poised to make a record-setting $16 billion in revenue this year. Wow. So the other guys have a long way to go if they have any chance at trying to catch up with Amazon. Which is exactly how Amazon likes it, I'm sure. I mean, they've made a habit of getting out in front of the competition when it comes to emerging tech and infrastructure. And that's to the chagrin of all these rival companies and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Yeah, why don't we talk a little bit about some of the other innovations that have given Amazon a leg up over the years, and uh, including a few on the horizon that do raise some serious questions about things like you know, consumer privacy. Yeah, definitely. But why don't we get a listener on the line for a quiz first? All right, so Mango, we've got a brilliant listener on the line right now, and I know we're going to be doing today's quiz about Amazon because of the episode today, but the reason we've actually got today's guest on the phone is because he called into our fact hotline with a terrific story related to our sugary cereals episode. Uh, So Jeffrey Nichols, welcome to Part-Time Genius. Well, thank you for having me. All right, so Jeffrey, we we really need you to share with our listeners what you told us in, in your voicemail. So it turns out that you actually won a grand prize from a box of Wheaties almost 30 years ago. Is this right? That That is correct. I, I had forgotten about it uh, until you got to the end of the sugary cereal episode when you were discussing the prizes and how they had to start putting, they couldn't put them in the actual bag of cereal and it was in the bag between that and the box. And then I stopped dead in my tracks. 
while I was walking my dog and realized I won one of those. <laughs> and so, needless to say, I had to Facebook you guys instantly, and then, uh, lo and behold, you guys enjoyed my doing that and had me leave the, the message on the, the fact hotline. Yeah, but you got you got to tell everyone what you won because it's crazy. Um, so there was a there was a box of Walter Payton Wheaties, which I imagine was probably procured in the fall of '88 <laughs> because that's that's when they're playing football and Walter Payton was still a, a demigod at that time. And I, I months and months later, I the box of cereal was still there. I poured it in in this plastic envelope, her plunked in the bowl. And, you know, we've all had that happen a million times, but for whatever reason, I opened it up and it said, you won. And I, I, uh, I was still living at home because I was a teenager and I, and I yelled up to my mom and I said, you're never going to believe this, but we won the grand prize, which turned out to be a thousand dollars cash and a week in Aspen slash Snowmass with the Phil and Steve Mayer who were the greatest Olympic American skiers of all time at that point. <laughs> and so it, it just, it was happy. It was falling at the end of what was my spring break of, I guess would have been the spring of 89, my senior year. And so my mom flew and I flew out to Colorado. And the, the most bizarre aspect of this whole uh, contest was that I was the only person who won the contest by accident. <laughs> and what do you mean? Well, I didn't realize it because why would I if I was only 18 and a half years old? But there's a whole subculture in America, apparently, who everything that they eat and consume and wear and do is because of no purchase necessary. Um, they have these big ledgers filled um, from front to back and top to bottom with every contest that they are currently uh, entered in, and and that's how they live. It was the bizarre. I mean, of all of the winners, they were all looking at each other's ledgers to see where they were in proximity to everybody else's occupation. But so I was the only person who skied, and so <laughs> Phil Mayer wow. and I just skied all day every day in Aspen because all of the other <laughs> Grand Prize players they were all back in the, their hotel rooms working. I do love that you actually won a grand prize. It sort of restores some faith in these uh, serial prizes for me because, you know, you always see these massive prizes and you don't think anyone's actually winning them. So I'm, I'm glad to know you won it. Yeah, it was, I mean, it, it was it was very cool. And, and just so much, I mean, it was as cool to have won as it was to find out that there is a subculture. Um, needless to say, it was funny when the uh, topic of the $1,000 cash came up. My, my mother quickly re reminded me as to who bought the cereal. So that's who was also pocketing the $1,000 cash. Well, that is a great story and actually gives us an idea for a future episode on that subculture. But uh, for today's episode, since we're focused on Amazon, we're going to have a related quiz. Now, Mango, what uh, what quiz are we having Jeffrey play today? So we're playing a game called One Star Movie Reviews, and this all comes from the great Twitter account, Amazon Movie Reviews. Uh, which is which is hilarious. And so there's actually a review on there for Tooth Fairy 2 that I was looking at starring Larry the Cable Guy, I think. <laughs> and so the review says, I have kids. They wanted to watch it. 
Sometimes I wish I didn't have kids. One star. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, my favorite on there is actually this five star review on the site. It's for Boss Baby, and it just reads, "quote This movie saved my marriage." Five stars. That's pretty incredible. All right, so Jeffrey, we're going to read you some reviews from the site there, and all you have to do is tell us what movie they're referring to. You ready to play? Sure thing. All right, review number one. There were no wolves in this movie. One star. So, what 2013 movie featuring Leonardo DiCaprio are we talking about? I would have to say uh, the Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, that's right. So there are actually uh, similar one-star reviews for the accountant, which says not enough accounting in this movie, and Cars, <laughs> which simply says I see enough cars in real life. Ah. <laughs> All right. All right. You're one for one, Jeffrey. Here we go. Number two. What Nickelodeon cartoon about an intrepid Mexican girl who loves to travel got the following review? Hate it. Who lets their three-year-old go on adventures with just a monkey for supervision? <laughs> I would have to say Dora the Explorer. Absolutely, you're two for two. All right, two for two. Question number three. This classic Judy Garland movie features some monkey talk as well. There's a one-star review that reads, "Flying monkeys? That's too far-fetched." I would certainly hope they were referring to the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, of course. You got it. And I, I love that. Like evil witches and a Tin Man and a talking lion are all within the realm of possibility, but somehow flying monkeys are a step too far. All right. Question number four. You're doing great so far. This review starts quote. I've never seen penguins dance. This propaganda film is meant to deprive us of tuna. What movie about dancing penguins, which shares its name with an old Cab Calloway song, are we talking about? That would be Happy Feet. Yeah, you're right. Four for four. Nice job. Let's see if you can bring it home with the last one and go five for five. Question number five. This review disappointedly sums up the movie. Quote: One star. The boat sinks. What movie are we talking about? <laughs> that would be Titanic. That's amazing, Jeffrey. So you went five for five, which gets you an official part-time genius certificate of genius, along with a part-time genius T-shirt. So congratulations! Thank you. Live Nation presents Concert Week now through May 14th. Get twenty-five dollar tickets to over five thousand shows. That's up to seventy-five percent off a summer full of your favorite artists like Twenty One Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids, Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than five thousand summer shows for just twenty-five dollars. Until now through May 14th, visit LiveNation.com/concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum Forty One, Thirty Seconds from Mars, Oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but like, I never liked being told, "Oh, wow, you look so good for your age." Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty, beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at meaningfulbeauty.com. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over six million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position 
warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. You're listening to Part-Time Genius, and we're talking about the innovative thinking and breakthrough technologies that have made Amazon one of the fastest-growing and most ubiquitous companies in history. And just how prevalent is Amazon exactly? According to a report out earlier this year from Walker Sands Communication, an astounding 84% of U.S. consumers have bought something from Amazon in the past that year. That is so crazy. It's <laughs> unbelievable. And as far as consumer bases go, that's just about as good as you could possibly get. It's pretty much everyone. Yeah, and, and part of the reason so many people buy from Amazon is that the company's gotten so good at selling what you want. I mean, sometimes even before you know it. Yeah, it's true. and They've really set the bar in terms of predictive analytics and targeted marketing. For example, they have this super comprehensive filtering engine that can analyze everything from what you've purchased in the past to what's currently in your online shopping cart to things like which items you've searched for the most. And your information then gets cross-referenced with that of other users. And as we've talked about, this is 84% of America, so it's a ton of people. Mm -hmm. So the company can recommend products that other people have bought when shopping for the same things that you have. And just like with impulse buys near registers at grocery stores, that power of suggestion goes a long way toward making you spend more on Amazon, especially when it's customized to this degree. Mm-hmm. Investopedia reports that Amazon's personalized recommendation system snags the company as much as an extra 30% in revenue every single year. Oh, man, we are such cheap. But uh, <laughs> but you kind of have to admire how much thought and effort goes into the design of the platform. I mean, even if it is optimized to suck every dollar out of your wallet – like, you know that one-click ordering button that Amazon has? Yeah. Not only is that this in-house invention meant to increase impulse buys and limit the lag between purchases and shipments, but it's also a patented feature that Amazon licenses to other companies. So, you know, for, for instance, anytime you buy a song or movie or whatever on iTunes with one-click ordering, not only does Apple make money, but Amazon's sharing in that profit, too. Yeah, it really is amazing to think about this and, of course, their cloud computing business that we talked about where – you know, another company's ability to function and, and even make money, it, it becomes dependent on giving Amazon a cut of these profits. It's really clever how they've worked out all of these ways of making money from other companies' sales. Yeah, and Amazon's not shy about capitalizing on another company's money-making schemes either. Just last month, Walmart announced that it would start testing a delivery service in which its workers would enter customers' homes by way of a smart lock. And then they drop off the packages or even unload grocery items directly into the fridge or freezer. And now, just a few weeks later, Amazon's one up them by launching their own in-home delivery service in 37 cities. I mean, should should we actually feel bad for Walmart here for <laughs> once? I, I, I don't yeah, know if I'm going to go that no. far. But, I mean, it's the one time they were actually ahead of the curve, even if by only a month. And then along comes Amazon and one-ups them. But yeah, and not that I'm really rooting for either of them in this case. There's mm-hmm. something about granting a giant company this unfettered access to my home that I'm not sure I'm ready to buy into just yet. 
Yeah, I totally get that. And, and to be fair, it's not a meritless idea. So this company called August Home Inc. did a study last year and found that approximately 11 million Americans had packages stolen off their doorsteps in 2016. But you're right. This new kind of delivery service has already raised a lot of eyebrows due to privacy concerns, even with the promise of cameras that live stream the whole delivery process. I mean, the service isn't guaranteed to take off for either company, but I'd say Amazon has a better chance of making it all work. Yeah, and that seems especially true here. I mean, Amazon could theoretically take the idea beyond simple delivery of packages. I mean, they already have this home and business services section of the site, and it kind of works like TaskRabbit, except all the services you can buy and schedule are handled by real professionals. Hmm. You know, things like house cleaning and lawn care or even furniture assembly can all be arranged through Amazon. So with this new smart log program, you know, that kind of stuff could be set up through Amazon without you needing to be there when the service is performed. I, I do have to admit it's all a little bit creepy mm -hmm. and still a little too new for me to get behind this completely. But but you're right. If anyone can sell the concept to the public, it would definitely be Amazon. Yeah, and they've managed to float some pretty off-putting ideas so, so far. But uh, just look at what they've managed with Alexa and Amazon Echo, right? 20 years ago when the company came on the scene, it would have been this unthinkable prospect that people would live with an ever-present virtual assistant that kept this constant thread of like what you were listening to and every word you said. But now about 3 million different people use the voice-controlled Alexa service every month. And that number is only set to rise as the company expands the Echo line. Yeah, and as you remember, that, that Alexa was originally this standalone company that did web analysis and web analytics, if you remember that. And mm -hmm. Amazon bought it for $250 million back in 1999. And they ended up sitting on this software for about 16 years, not knowing exactly what they were going to do about it. And then they finally rolled it out as this very different, this, this home assistant and entertainment center. That's so crazy. I actually forgotten that, that Alexa was where you'd go to, um, to check other websites and what traffic they were getting. Yeah. But, but, you know, as cool and sci-fi a concept as like this AI assistant is, it's actually got nothing on the actual robots that Amazon uses. And that's why I have to mention another Amazon acquisition that's only recently started to pay off for the company. In 2012, Amazon bought a robotics company called Kiva for three quarters of a billion dollars. And today, the Kiva robots are a big part of the picking and packing process that goes on at Amazon's enormous fulfillment centers. So these robots, like, what, what do they do exactly? Well, the way it usually works is that whenever an order comes through at Amazon, a human worker called a picker has to navigate those endless aisles of merchandise to find the specific bins that contain the ordered items. And now, of course, the computer tells the picker which aisles and bins to check, but with so many orders coming in each day and so many different items to choose from, filling orders can still be this tiring, time-consuming task. In fact, most pickers walk as many as like 15 miles during a single shift. Wow. Yeah, I know those Amazon warehouses are just huge. I remember seeing this fact that, you know, if you if you added up all the square footage of these Amazon warehouses, it makes up something like 17 New Hampshires. I can't or even imagine how many Delawares that is. So many Delawares. <laughs> yeah, but... Uh, but all right, so I just want to make sure I understand this. So they, so actually, they have robots that are dexterous enough to pick the items out of bins. That seems remarkable. No, they don't. So, the, so the Kiva robots don't even have arms. So picture something more like an enormous Roomba that scoots around really close to the ground at about five miles per hour. So rather than sending human pickers on this like massive route through these labyrinthine warehouses, a Kiva robot brings all the needed items right to them. Hmm. But the Kivas don't carry the items individually. Instead, they roll beneath these vertical columns that hold the merchandise bins. 
and then extend themselves upwards using hydraulics. Like kivas can actually tote up to 700 pounds on their backs. So once they've located the column that contains the correct item, they just simply carry it back to the human worker who can then pick out the item needed to fill the order. Wow. I like that you keep saying human worker. (laughs) But uh, anyway, you know, actually, as as a side note, speaking of human workers, there was one program totally unrelated to this, but... I read about this program called Camper Force. Have you heard about this before? So Amazon uses it to staff its warehouses during the holiday season because it's so much busier during that time. Mm-hmm. They just need temporary workers. Sense. And so basically the company invites these nomadic RVers to set up shop near their facilities and come work as seasonal hires there. The program has its own logo, which is a silhouette of an RV speeding along with Amazon's smile logo on its side. So <laughs> I kind of love that. It's 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 a little strange, but yeah, it's kind of an interesting model. Yeah, so I, I thought we could take a look at where Amazon's headed next and how they might convince us to let them wedge a little deeper into our personal lives. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Okay, Mango, so what's on the horizon for Amazon? Well, in the immediate future, there's the new second headquarters that the company's been talking about building somewhere outside of its home base of Seattle. And while we could talk about what the $5 billion investment could mean for the company or what the 50,000 jobs will do for the local economy, I, I think it'd be way more fun to talk about some of the ridiculous things cities have done to get Amazon to look their way. Yeah, I, I do love thinking about these kinds of things. In fact, one of the silliest promotional tactics I'd read about or maybe least effective <laughs> came from my own hometown of Birmingham. And apparently part of what was dubbed this Bring A to B campaign 
and the city set up two giant replicas of Amazon's dash buttons. Those are those, you know, doorbell looking gadgets that let you reorder a certain product with a single press of the mm-hmm. button. Except in this case, whenever residents press the big prop buttons instead of ordering more detergent or whatever, it would send one of 600 different pre-generated tweets to Amazon's Twitter account. What? So what kind of stuff were they tweeting to Amazon? Well, some of the messages were just little factoids about the city's quality of life, and others had bits of trivia, you know, like how Michael Jordan briefly played for the Birmingham Barons during his stint as a baseball player. And mm-hmm. I don't know, most of them were these corny kind of flirty messages. Like <laughs> one of them says... Um, Amazon, we got a 100% match on Bumble. Want to go on a date? Or <laughs> I'd retweet that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or here's one that I actually find kind of offensive. It says, uh, we are Chipotle and those other cities are Taco Bell, Amazon. <laughs> yeah, I don't like that one bit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm not sure why the city thought bombarding Amazon with annoying tweets would be the way to lock them down. But either way, it's my hometown. So I'm pulling for you, Birmingham. Well, with 238 cities and regions across both the U.S. and Canada vying for the chance to be Amazon's new hometown, I mean, there's some steep competition. Yeah. So so what one of the things Calgary is doing, and I didn't even realize Calgary was up for this, but they've hung this 200-foot banner outside Amazon's current Seattle headquarters that says, quote, Hey, Amazon, not saying we'd fight a bear for you, but we totally would. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually kind of awesome. All right, I'm changing to Team Calgary here. But, you know, Mango, I thought we could switch gears and and talk for a minute about Whole Foods. Obviously, this was a big, big acquisition for them recently, and and particularly because Amazon now has the ability to do something that they they didn't have before, and that was to access this brick-and-mortar world. Yeah, and and we're a few months past Amazon's $13.7 billion buyout, but there's still a lot of unanswered questions about what shape the new partnership will take. I mean, Prime members now get a discount at Whole Foods, and some of the stores have a stack of Amazon Echoes for sale by the entrance. But obviously, there's potential there for something much more interesting. Right, and there's been all kinds of speculation about whether Amazon will just gut the stores and use them as these urban or suburban distribution hubs, or maybe force Whole Foods to adopt the model of the Amazon Go prototype grocery stores. These are the ones where... Yeah, the company's been testing out the possibility of of minimizing human contact in those Mm -hmm. stores. And sensors just keep track of the items that you grab and automatically charge the total. It goes directly to your Amazon account once you head for the exits there. Yeah, and that could definitely happen down the line. But I'm looking forward to pressing a button at my desk, watching a drone pick up an avocado for me, monitoring it on my phone, and then having it helicopter up to my office where I can reach out the window and pluck it from the sky. I'm sure that's going to happen one day. Actually, (laughs) I I did come across this thought experiment from a Texas design firm called Argo Design. And some of the concepts weren't too far off from what you just described. So they tried to imagine what a potential Amazon Foods might look like when paired with new and emerging technology. So one of the ideas was that these new echo fridges could be built with these exterior facing doors that a delivery driver or maybe a flying drone like you dreamed of could access <laughs> from the outside. And the idea was that one side of the fridge would belong to the consumer and would store all of his or her food products, while the other side would house a rotating assortment of suggested products that Amazon swaps what? out <laughs> once or twice a day. So if you wanted to buy that bag of grapes or those heirloom tomatoes, All you'd have to do is slide them over to your side of the fridge and they'd be purchased automatically. And if there was nothing on sale that you wanted, 
you just leave it all be and Amazon would haul it over to your neighbor or something to see if he was interested. <laughs> that sounds equal parts amazing and horrifying. And it's yeah. almost like the mini bar you don't want because right. it's too tempting. I mean, the convenience is obviously great, but getting the jar of olives that my neighbors have rejected, that kind of turns me off. <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah. Well, it, 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 it is a little unsettling to think about, but with drones and in-home deliveries already on the table, you know, sharing a fridge with Amazon may not be outside the realm of reason. There was actually one idea from Argo Design that I really thought was very, very interesting. And, you know, it's kind of their take on the sharing economy model that's been popularized by companies like Uber and Airbnb. And so basically talented home cooks could prepare meals to sell in their community. So how does Amazon play a role here? So they would provide them with some high-tech Tupperware containers to pack the food in. And then each of these special containers would include this mass spectrometer to do things like detecting allergens and pathogens in the prepared meals. And this way, Amazon and the aspiring chefs could sidestep the FDA and the whole packaged food industry while still ensuring that their home-cooked meals were safe to eat. I mean, that's an awesome idea, but that one actually might be outside the realm of reason. That's true. I mean, at, at least at this point. But I do appreciate the positivity behind it. And you know, sometimes it feels like all the tech that's aimed at convenience does make us feel a little more isolated mm-hmm. in the end. So there was something about this that was just nice to see an application that would encourage people to eat locally and also maybe meet their neighbors. I thought the founder of the design firm expressed it pretty well in, in a quote that he, he said. It says, um, maybe rather than keeping us away from each other, stronger data systems could help us get closer to each other over time. Well, I like that heartwarming sentiment, but you know what else brings us all together? A good old-fashioned fact off. (laughs) Right, let's do it. All right, I'll start us off here. So you want to know a good way to get a building named after you on the Amazon campus? Be the first person to have purchased a book from Amazon. It it sounds (laughs) like... It's hard to do now. It is hard to do that again, yeah. It sounds like a riveting book, too. It was purchased by software engineer John Wainwright, and the name of the book was Fluid Concepts and Creative Analogies. And I'm not done with the title. It then goes <laughs> on, Computer Models of the Fundamental Mechanisms of Thought. And, uh, and so after buying that years later, Jeff Bezos decided to name a building after him. <laughs> that title just feels like clickbait. Yes, it does. So, speaking of Jeff Bezos, did you know that if you call the Amazon service desk, you might actually get a hold of Bezos himself? So every Amazon employee is required to spend a couple days every two years answering customer calls. And apparently he really enjoys it. It kind of reminds you of Steve Jobs answering customer emails. That's what I was going to say. It reminded me of that as well. I Mm -hmm. remember seeing seeing a story about that. Well, another Bezos fact here. You know, he's got this problem of trying to figure out what to do with his billions and billions of dollars. Poor guy. I mean, trying (laughs) to figure this out. Well, he is finding some interesting ways to spend some of his money. And one of those ways is building this 10,000-year clock. So the clock apparently ticks once a year, and the century hand moves ahead once every 100 years. And because, you know, every cool clock needs a cuckoo, that, that happens every 1,000 years. <laughs> and apparently the clock is supposed to be like a symbol of long-term thinking, I guess. I like that. I mean, I, I hope it's just not a, like, traditional tiny cuckoo, but something spectacular. Yeah. Um, Did you know that a book about lichen apparently helped keep uh, Amazon in business in the early days? So as we both know from our e-commerce years, when you're a bookseller, you buy books from distributors and you typically can't buy a single copy. You have to buy them in bulk, like 10 or so books at a time. But in the earliest days, Amazon didn't need 10 copies of every book. So Amazon figured out a loophole. 
When they needed a book, they'd order one copy of the book that they wanted to have on hand, and then nine copies of this really obscure book on Lycan that was always out of stock. That's pretty hilarious. <laughs> Though I do wish they had realized that and be like, there's such demand for this Lycan <laughs> book. We need to bring it back. That's awesome. Well, that you know, that may have prevented them from losing a lot of money at that point. But many years later, in 2013, Amazon showed just how much money it could lose in less than an hour. When the Amazon.com site went down for only 40 minutes, the company apparently lost close to $5 million Whoa. in that brief period. That's about $120,000 each minute. That's insane. So as you know, there have been stories over the years of Amazon employees in fulfillment centers not always being the happiest. And there are actually some funny stories about how various employees have decided to protest or communicate their unhappiness. So one funny one involves an employee back in 2006 in the Kansas Fulfillment Center. So he'd arrive every day for work, but then wasn't clocked as doing any work. It turns out he'd kind of built himself this fort in the middle of a bunch of empty pallets. He, he was then able to use products that were for sale to make himself right at home. So he made himself a bed. He tore out pictures from books to decorate the walls he'd built around him. And he had food to snack on. And get this, when they figured out what the guy was doing, can you believe they fired him? What? <laughs> Shocking. All right. Well, I have to admit, a fact that is that absurd is, is, is probably worthy of today's trophy. So I'm going to give it to you. Congratulations, Mango. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. Don't forget, if you have any great facts about Amazon that we missed, let us know at one eight four four pt genius or email us at parttimegenius at HowStuffWorks.com. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks again for listening. Part-Time Genius is a production of How Stuff Works and wouldn't be possible without several brilliant people who do the important things we couldn't even begin to understand. Tristan McNeil does the editing thing. Noel Brown made the theme song and does the mixy-mixy sound thing. <laughs> Jerry Rowland does the exec producer thing. Gabe Luzier is our lead researcher with support from the research army, including Austin Thompson, Nolan Brown, and Lucas Adams. And Eve Jeffcoat gets the show to your ears. Good job, Eves. If you like what you heard, we hope you'll subscribe. And if you really, really like what you've heard, maybe you could leave a good review for us. Did we, did we forget Jason? Jason who? Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. 
or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.